0: said, courage is the most important of all the virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. Welcome to Building Grit, one call at a time. Every human being will be faced with a massive challenge. How you deal with problems is based on grit, determination, perseverance, and will. On this show, we talk to people who face challenges and how they dealt with them. This is Building Grit, one call at a time. And this is your host, Nick Wingo. Thanks for joining us on Building Grit. I appreciate you guys tuning in today. Today,
1: I have a guest on my podcast. I met this guest in the Arate group. Super excited to have him to just talk about his story. Tell us a little bit how he built grit. Uh, Today, I want to introduce you to... Clay Smetzler, how are you doing Clay? Hey, I'm doing good, Nick,
2: man. I appreciate you being here.
1: Man, I thank you. I really appreciate you coming on my podcast. I'm real excited about where this conversation is going to go. Super stoked that you follow you on social media and you have got a passion for uh helping men.
2: Yes. Absolutely.
1: So why don't you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, where you came from, because I see a lot of your story talks about just the space that you were in prior to figuring out that you're going to help other men get to a better place in their life. So give me a little just kind of glimpse as to how you've gotten to where you are.
2: Oh, that works for me. I mean, I'm a country boy. I grew up in the woods of Pennsylvania, so I learned a lot of stuff in the woods. I was the youngest out of well, my older brother, but all of the people around us were his age. So I tried to fit in and, you know, be in the club and fit in, but it never really happened. But I worked my ass off to do it, and it made me, uh, <laughs> it made me uh, a lot tougher. I was an athlete in high school. I went to college to play baseball. But then uh, once I broke my thumb in three places at college, I kind of had to stop. And that's where my identity kind of got lost because I was Clay Smelter chasing the major leagues, and all of a sudden I was Clay Smelter college student, and that was boring as hell. And then it went on to graduating. Then I did the American dream, got a, you know, Got married, bought a house, had a kid, then got divorced. So that American dream didn't work out. Then I did the American dream again, You know, found somebody, got married, and got divorced again. And then uh, at 35 years old with my wife now, I was sitting here actually right over on that couch right over there watching a Game of Thrones episode and having a complete panic attack and going, dude, this is not what life was supposed to be about. That's that point in time there where that identity of who was Clay Smelter. Was still unknown, you know. I was—I'm a teacher. I teach seventh grade math. I was a burnout teacher, basically just being annoyed as hell, waking up early, going to school, and um, being annoyed throughout the day and so forth. And connected and helping kids out, but it really wasn't to the highest level I could. And that's where for me, it really got to the point where I like—I had to figure my shit out. You know, this anxiety ridden—I I dealt with anxiety for 15 years and and didn't really tell anybody because uh, I felt shame over it. And I think that's what holds a lot of men back is shame. And then uh, once I started doing that, talking and sharing my story, that's when I was really able to find me doing the hard work, going back into the shadow, all the shit that we don't want to deal with inside of our minds, dealing with that, looking at that, conquering that, and then really defining my purpose and saying, hey, this is exactly who I am. And then uh, just living by that. And for me, my purpose is to own myself, love my story and live with purpose every single day. So Any decision I make, like when you ask me, hey, you want to be a guest? I said, does it match? Does it help me own myself, love my story, live with purpose and help other people do that? Yes. So it's a a yes. So my center is always my purpose and I'm always coming back to center. So before I had no center, you know, as an athlete, we're always taught to keep poise, you know, keep center, you know, so you can move and be agile. And for me, I had no center and now I do. So anytime I veer off center and I don't feel balanced, man, I just come right back to center, which is own myself, love my story and live with purpose and help other people do that. So for me, that's kind of my story in 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 a little nutshell.
1: And I really love that. Uh, there's all kinds of things I could dive into. Uh, so <laughs> much stuff right there. Yeah, there's so much stuff in there. Uh, let's start out with uh, the thumb injury. So you, you're you a young man and you have this dream. And there are so many other young men that they get out, yeah. of, out of high school and they're like, oh man, I am going to be this individual. This is who I am. And when you're that age, like you don't have any other thing that you're thinking about, right? I mean, did nope. do you think about any other options? Was there any other option for no. you other than to be a baseball player?
2: Now, it, that that's what it was. I mean, I, I remember in, I was the first one on the field. I remember like baseball was all year for me. I played football too, but two days a week, I went out to the gym after football practice, did my workouts. I mean, from the time that I was in uh, my freshman year in high school, where I was really like, damn, you know, this is something I can actually do because you, you got, you got that. You got to be realistic as a baseball coach myself. We have to be realistic about the talent that we actually have and a capacity to be able to make it to that level. Because when you look at any sport going into a collegiate athlete, I mean, it's like one in 2,000. And then any collegiate athlete to the next level, to pro, it's like one in 5,000. I was like, there's very little people. Even though we see all these professional sports players, there's very small amount that you're actually going to make it there. So for me, when it was a realization that, well, shit, I could actually do this, then that was where it, game time came on because I'm like, listen, here's here's where I can go. I did all the work for four years in, in, in high school. I did the things that nobody else was willing to do to have the opportunity to play at a level most people don't have to play. So it's like, you know, my buddies used to get mad at me because they're like, well, would you come out and play?" I'm like, no, dude, like, no, I, I'm going here. I'm going there. I got this going on. Like, I'm not ruining my chances. So then when I made it to college and- I had the opportunity to choose to a lot of places where I wanted to go, and I chose to go catching. I was a recruiter for pitching and catching. Catching was my passion because it's the dirty spot, and I just loved it, you know. And um, I went to Kutztown University to catch my freshman year, the preseason. Well, the fall ball went great, came into the spring season. We had a preseason game. Guy, uh, I was sitting up outside for a fastball, and he threw an inside changeup, so it exposed my thumb and basically just took my thumb back like that. And if you look at my thumb, my bottom knuckle doesn't move. So instead of hyperextending, it basically took a chunk here and took a chunk on the inside and just blew it up. And uh, I'm like, dude, I just jammed my thumb. So I'm like, I just kept going. I just kept catching, you know, my mindset, my tunnel vision, I was looking through a straw. My tunnel vision was the major leaks. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let's just keep going. So we went down to spring break, had a 12-game series. So I was rotating in. And then the other catcher on the team, he took a foul ball off of his arm and split his arm, his throwing hand, uh, oh. throwing arm, it, like split him right in half. So then it was me. That, that was it. I was left. So I was started catching. I caught 10 games after that, not knowing I blew two chunks out of my thumb. By the time I We came back uh, in Georgia. We were in Georgia. Then we went to North Carolina, the two-game series there. Once that was done, I was on the road back and my thumb was like this big, man. It was like all black and blue. And it's like, but I just kept putting tape around. I'm like, let's just keep taping it up. Like, keep going, I'm keep good. going. Because
1: you're so focused,
2: yeah. you, you yeah. see nothing else other than this is where I'm headed and this damn Absolutely. thumb ain't stopping me. Nope. You know, for me, I got back, I went to the doctors. They're like, listen, dude, you you know, they injected this dye, which is pretty neat because the, the x-ray, when it was up on the screen, a doctor came in, is was like, here's your x-ray. And it was just like, It was all red through and you could see like spider cracks and everything in my tendons and everything that's running up through my thumb. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool. And I was like, ah, shit, that's my thumb. he's (laughs) like, you know, so you can see this little sliver of bone was the only thing that was holding my thumb or what has been sitting there flopping. So I'm like, he's like, all right, well, you you probably don't want to play. I was like, well, that's not an option, man. So thanks for, for letting me know what's wrong. I'll take it back to the trainer. In the trainer, we ended up making a cast that went over my thumb here and in back. One for me to be able to catch. So I could do this and I could do this, but I couldn't do this with my hand. So everything that I had to do to catch, I had to change. I had to re- redo. I had to learn new things just like this, you know, in a, in an instant, very quickly. And then I would take that one off, for my that one in my glove, and I would put one on for my bat. So that one that... Held my hand because my thumb couldn't do this, or it basically was going to like break off my hand. So,
1: so those of uh, you who are who obviously can't see, <laughs> so he's got no motion front to back, basically. Yeah, is what you're yeah, uh, which yeah. as a catcher, that's huge. You have to have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got no up and down motion. Yeah, you got no up and down motion. Really, you have to
2: have that to be yeah. a catcher, right? Without so there, that, you're completely, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there blind spots. When you do that, there's blind spots right next to my left knee and right next – when you're down in your squat, right next to my left and right knee, those were two blind spots because I couldn't bend my wrist to get get my hand down there. So I took a. I took a – the one time I took a 93-mile-out fastball right in a cup because of it, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, and it just rolled back. Dude, it just – it was great because it just rolled back. I was known as the thumb guy. Everybody knew, like, hey, you're the thumb guy. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So the umpire behind me, which had a couple games already, I mean, it came in and just hit my cup square and I'm like, oh, fuck. dude, I just, I was, I just stayed sitting there. It rolled out to like the plate and he's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, can you just pick that ball up and throw it back? And he's like, no, no, no. Are you okay? You need to go like, take, take a break. Cause all of our guys threw in the nineties and this is like one of our best pitchers. And I mean, he hit the spot. It was a strike, but. My right. cup tuck it, and it's like I'm oh. like, no, 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 just go pick it up, man, and throw it back. I'll be good. I'll be good. So I just stayed there down in my squat for like the next next like five six pitches, and then and then oh. I finally stood up, and I'm like, but yeah, dude. I mean, it was like it was pretty bad. So I had to go to a doctor for that too. But and that's where it's like I broke. I ended up shattering five casts. I did about two hours worth of rehab to get my hand to actually work because it was so swollen and and messed up that I basically was like this almost the whole time until I did the rehab. And then I was able to move it enough to be able to use it for the games and so forth. And Then the summer came. I took I took time off to let it heal. I came back in the fall and did preliminary stuff with uh, the doctor. And basically, he's like, "Dude, you just you like in six months you created a huge problem for yourself." And he's like, "Dude, listen, you can keep playing if you want to, but you're done. Like you're done catching. It ain't going to happen, man." And it's like you know, it, it's the difference between you continuing to play. And not being able to use your hand by the time that you're 30, or you you stopping and being able to use your hand for the rest of your life. And I was like, well, I'm still going to go. So I went back out in fall ball. I stopped catching, went to third. I, I played third and stuff like that too, and second. But it got to the point where I couldn't. Where when I was coming down through the bat, I was leaving my hand off. So I was basically swinging with my upper hand. So mm. like hatchet chop and everything, and just gonna somebody cut it. No, it wasn't going to cut it in some of the best baseball in the country. And it's like, that ain't going to work. And if somebody tossed the ball at me from like like 10 feet away underhand, it was a cringe every single time. So it was just like, it got to the point where it's like, man, I can't swing a bat and I can't catch baseball anymore. And it's like, you know, it's like I had to give it up. And that's, And I imagine it was devastating. Oh yeah, dude. It was one of the hardest Devastating. things I've, it, it still brings emotion. I'm getting like, you know, half you know, teary eyed here too. Cause all the hard work, all the dreams, all the things that you think and expectation that you have. And now, now it's just, it's gone in a day, you know, in, in a decision. I mean, I, I remember sitting in my car, you know, before I walked into the office, talk with a coach, I mean, you know, talk with mom and dad and, and so forth. And you know, the pain, that I could hear in my mom's voice, not because I was quitting, but because she knew this was something that meant the world to me. It was a dream it was a, it, it, that I had to stop. And, um, yeah, man, it, it just – so anybody were any athlete who goes into that room with the doctor, and when the doctor walks in, you're like, fuck, I know what he's going to say. Yeah. And you're like, so anybody that's in that position, like, I, I get it. it. But then the real stuff hit after that. And I didn't know it till I was 35. That was when I was 19, 20. You know, I didn't realize all of the internal stuff that came along with that until I was 35 years old. So, I mean, you got 15 years there. I didn't deal with anxiety before then. I started to. I started to get anxiety over a ton of stuff. Things that were like stupid shit. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm going, we're going to go to the beach. And I'm like, you know, like, and I'm like, what? Like, why am I getting? What's that why? all about? Yeah, what's that? What? Why? Like, I like the beach. Like, it's a fun place. You know, it's like you know, traveling did it a lot to me. Just, just stuff that I'm like, why am I doing this? But the reason why I did it then is because I wasn't using my anxiety anymore. So every time that I stepped up to the plate, every time there was a situation that I had to go into, hey, you got to lay a bunt down. you, you, you got to lay a bunt down the third baseline so we can score a, guy on, a on a on a sacrifice or a safety bunt you know, or you got to move a guy over or so forth, or hey, you need to take a take a ball to the right side. All of those different feelings and emotions and chemicals that come out with anxiety is what I used all the time, like all the time. But now I wasn't using it. So all these chemicals are now built up in me. And now I'm having anxiety over stuff that I have no idea because I'm not using what was given to me to be able to make, to make me great in the game. I wasn't using it anymore. You know, I was going to class doing this stuff and so forth and just having all of these different things coming up. But to me, that was a sign of weakness. And I was ashamed for it. And I never told people because, you know, I'm a badass man. I'm a strong, confident dude. You know, I can handle shit by myself. And it's like, yeah, dude, I tried that so many times, man, it doesn't work. And it's like, I finally stopped islanding myself off. And I started saying something. My wife, we've been together for six years, but she's really the first one I I said, hey, listen, I deal with anxiety and I I don't know what to do with it. Like, I, I just don't, I don't know what to do. To me, I didn't tell that to her right away because I was ashamed of it. I thought it made me weak. I thought she was actually going to say, like, oh, well, dude, you're less than a man. Like, I felt, you know, I felt less than a man. You know, I felt less than a husband. But that was your feelings. That was me. It was your feelings, not her yes. feelings. Absolutely. Right. And I didn't tell her because I was, thought she was going to be like, oh, yeah, well, you're less than a man. I don't want to be with you. Like, oh, you was am going to deal with my mental you know, stressors right. and can't handle yourself. Why don't you just man up? And it's like, you know, for me, like when I told her, she's like, I'm here for you. I don't, I don't know what to do, but I'm here for you and to support you. And I'm like, really? I was like, shit, I should have said this a long time ago. I'm like,
1: <laughs> Right. I'm like, so I want to point out something to the listeners right now that if you're listening to this, like really lean into this because so often people think that the space that they're in, that nobody's going to meet them, number one. And then if, when if you do say like, hey, I'm struggling with this or I, I have this, like when you're in that space, you feel like people are going to be like, oh, you're a, you're a fucking weakling. You're this, yep. you're that. Because you're telling yourself that in your own mind, right? Yes. You're, it's so far in your own mind that you can't get out of that space. And so you talk yourself out of getting help, talking to somebody about it because you look at it as weakness. Yep. And that is so far from the truth, you know, listening to you and watching you. I can see that that is not who you are as a man. And you yeah, realize yeah. that now. However, at that time, you felt like you were weak. Yeah. And so something I want to point out to the listeners right now is that so often the things that we feel like are, are our biggest weaknesses is what becomes our biggest strengths, right? Absolutely. Because we, get, so we feel like, oh, this thing is so bad. This is, you know, your whole story with the thumb and, you know, the, the whole deal, like all of it up to that point, you felt like that was such a big weakness. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong.
2: Oh, absolutely. 100%. So the, I mean, detrimental weakness.
1: Right. So you've been telling yourself that this is this huge weakness. And now you are able to, and that, this is where the grit comes in. Like this is what it's all about is you took that weakness and you created it in one of your greatest strengths. Yes, Because now you have this story of who you were, who you thought you were, what you thought defined you. Mm-hmm. And you turn that into something where you can help other men. You can help other people. You can share your story and say, hey, like, I'm a badass motherfucker. Like, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. I had this thing. And, man, somebody listening to you right now, they're like, this fucking guy, this dude's a badass. He, he broke his thumb. And how many games?
2: Ten games he played uh, with before he even went and well, saw I, the doctor? I played, I played a whole college season. That's about 60 games with a broken thumb. 60 it, it was, games? It was, yeah.
1: Dude, was that, is, <laughs> that is crazy. I mean, the grit that it takes to do that yeah, is fucking insane and so in your mind you were like i'm weak because of this thing but in yeah. the reality is is that you were a badass dude like you were
2: able to fucking push through things that a normal individual could not push through yeah and that goes not only with the physical side because my dad always said there's a difference between hurt and injured i was always hurt i was never injured When i was actually injured i think i caught what is like a 62 game series i think i caught 61 of them and it's like, uh, you know, the, the last game, the last Saturday we played, header, third inning. My cast that we actually got working actually wore down. So my thumb was sticking out just a little tiny bit at the top. And I stuck a, a fastball in the corner. It, was, it was about three inches outside, and I needed to stick it for – and I, boom, I just went like that and stuck it. And it actually – the ball – the impact of the, the ball at 90-some miles an hour plus my glove it actually took my top of my finger and just went like that with it. Oh. So I just started to chuck it. Split it. Yeah, split it right in hand, Like split it like a Y, man, oh. the top of my thumb. And I, I, just, I took my mask off. I chucked it. I chucked that bitch over the, the dugout. I, I chucked my helmet over the dugout. I took my gears off. so, I, And then I just went and sat in the corner of the bench for the, the, the rest of the day because I'm like, dude, fuck. I'm like, I'm done. Like – and I just can't. do I'm just like, whatever, man. I mean, people were like, the coach was like, uh, I'm like, I'm done. I'm fucking done." Like this bull. Like, I'm just chucking shit. I'm just throwing shit. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't. I can't do it. And, and again, like, but you know, I look back and look at like the grit that took to do that. But there was a purpose behind it. The purpose or the reason why I did that. I was always hurt and never injured. Is to make it to the major leagues. But the irony of it was my persistence to make it to the major league is what took me out of the major leagues. Ooh. And that's something that even, yeah, I got chills when I just said that because that's something I got. I, I had to eventually own. I had mm. to eventually own my, I, I lost my dream for me because Ooh. of my choices. If I would have stopped when I broke it, I could have went back in to catch some more. Because or, you would have healed, healed, right?
1: If you would have got yeah. that hit, boom, you wouldn't have made it worse and then you would have gave yourself have some time. Games. Yep. Right, you would have gave yourself some time to heal then you could have came back and you could have yep. Oh man, that is that's so good. Yep. Like so if you're listening to this right now, it just it just goes to show like sometimes we get so focused that we lose focus of what we're headed for, right? We get so tunnel vision down this this narrow vision of like I see this thing I want it so bad so I will do fucking anything that I I feel like I need to to get there. But yep. when you step back at that thousands foot perspective, which is such, yep. people don't do that. Like they don't step back yeah. from the thousand foot perspective and go, "Okay, this is what I want. Is what I'm doing going to really put me there, Correct. or am I doing something that is just causing me to spin in a circle?" Yep.
2: And you were you were spinning in a circle. I was spinning in a circle. <laughs> didn't even realize
1: it. You didn't even nope. realize
2: you were spinning that circle. Nope. man. And talking about spinning in that circle is the same thing. You will continue to get the lesson until you learn the lesson. So when we look at the rest of it, I was spinning in a circle there. I was spinning in a circle in my first marriage. I was spinning in a circle in my second marriage. I was spinning in a circle in my identity of who I was. And why did all of that happen? Why did I go through all of those different things? It's because I never truly to find exactly who clay smelter was. I was clay smelter, a teacher. I was clay smelter, a husband, I was clay smelter, a father, I was clay smelter, a man, I was clay smelter, lazy, I was clay I was clay smelter, all these things. In that moment, what fueled my decision making, I had no clue. I had none. And I think that's like for me, why is my space so important to help men? is because there are so many men that are in their 30s, and I, I really say, 28 to 60 in that mm-hmm. realm that are in a monotony of life. They're just spinning around. they're like, "Well, you know what? Like, in my teens, I learned a whole bunch of stuff. In my 20s, I had some fun. In my 30s, I had kids and a family and stuff like that. I go to work, and you know, I work from Monday to Friday. I have two days for fun, and I do the same shit over and over again. I love my family. I love my life. I love my 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 wife, my kids. You know, I love all of that. And outside, that picture looked great. I mean, if you if you would have painted a picture of me when I had my I I had a panic attack over here, you would be like, dude, your life is great, man. Like your life is awesome. But you didn't. But internally. Yourself. I had no clue. I was, I was doing that hamster wheel of life, bashing my face up against the side of the wall. Why it, while it's rotating, it's like, boom, 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 you know, right. and, and, and so many men are in that space because we have all of these expectations and I call it the crystal ball, Ooh, yep. the crystal ball theory or that is we have this crystal ball of what our life should have been. And at 35, my life, was at this point in time at 30, not I'm 39 now, but at 35, my life was supposed to be done, done baseball back in my home community, creating spaces for kids, uh, and people to come to, to be able to really take ownership of themselves. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I saw. That's why I did what I did. That's the reason why I wanted to make the majors, not just be, to play a game that I loved and to get paid a lot of money for it, but to do those things with that opportunity to impact people with that opportunity. Yet at 35, there was nothing. I was a teacher. Yes, I was impacting kids, but it didn't fulfill those things that were inside of me because, well, I wasn't wasn't using the right things to fulfill it. And that's where the work that I do with men is we break down, we go through really a 12-week series of certain steps to break down and really define exactly who you are and define that mm-hmm. statement to have that purpose statement for me again own myself love my story live with purpose but the awesome statistic or, or the awesome things that I find in there is that when we break who you are down so if we take Nick we take Nick and we break you down all the way man and we look at this and, and it's probably not true true now because you've really found that passion and that purpose But before, when we break that list down about eight to 10 things that are core characteristics to you, what we find out with men is that in their top five, you only have one of the three things that you need to fulfill in your top five. So when you're prioritizing that, you're only trying to fill your cup with one thing. You need to fill it with three things. You need the coffee, you need the sugar, and you need the creamer. Mm. You're only putting coffee in it. You're not getting the sugar and the creamer. So you're not getting exactly what you need. So when you're looking at your body, you need proteins, you need carbs, you need fats. You're only really putting carbs in, that's it. Well, you ain't gonna, it's not going to work out for you too well. You need protein, nope. you need fats, you need those things. So when we look at that, the other two that you need are usually, if we got an area of one to 10, they're usually at seven and eight, eight and nine or nine and 10. They're not even on your daily list, but they're, mm. you're, you're telling me, that these are the three most important things that you need to feel fulfilled. But yet two of them aren't even in the top five, which means every once in a while you're getting filled up by it. I can't fully fill my cup if I don't own my shit, if I don't love my story, and if I don't go live with purpose each day. I was only trying to love my story. Actually, I, all three of them are probably not even in there. You know, mm-hmm. love was one of the things that I was in my top, but the other ones, myself, growth, that living with purpose, knowing what that is, going out and expanding, dude, those were down the bottom. I wasn't even thinking about that shit. And it's like, once we take that and we realign what your priorities and your core self is to build you and fill your cup up, once we put those at the top and make those a priority every single day, then that's when life gets exciting because the perspective of what you were viewing life from changes. I, I, I say it as like, you got glasses on, you got that fog on your glasses. Once you define exactly who you are and you define your purpose, you take your you take those lenses and you just wipe that fog off and you're like, oh shit, this mm-hmm. is what life is supposed to look like. Okay, all right, cool. And then it doesn't matter. You could go through a whole bunch of shit. But if you come back to center and you're like, hey, come back to my purpose, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll give you an example is is one of the days a year ago we had to we had to put down our, our dog. So we did that and next day I went into school and stuff like that. I was talking with my students and so forth and they're like I was like, yeah, man, I had a great day yesterday. And they're like, no, wait, how'd you have a great day? Because you put your dog down. So that, that's like a bad day. I'm like, no, 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 no. I get to choose what goes on my day. So at the end of the day, yes. Was the situation of of putting our dog down that that we love sad? Yes, absolutely. Did I cry? Yes. Was I was I heartbroken? Yes. Do I miss her? Absolutely. I still miss her today. You know, was but was it a great opportunity? to feel to remember to share that with my kids to be there for them to be there for my wife to be there for for those and to take this opportunity to find the good in it instead of just all the sad yeah so at the end of the day i had a great day because i chose to have a great day right was there sad things in there absolutely but yeah. at the end of the day man there was so much learning so much growth that that was able to occur because i didn't look at it and say oh well this is sad my day's bad or Hey, it's raining and cloudy out. So I'm going to have a bad day like no, dude. Like the fucking know, weather doesn't d- depict who you like what day you it. have, man.
1: It doesn't. For me, listening to this really brings up a lot of shit for me because, you know, being a firefighter and seeing the shit that I see, I went through a phase of like just pure fucking depression where I, I mean, I was just crushed. And the whole yeah. reason was is because I didn't own my day. I didn't own my shit. I thought that all the other shit controlled me. And until yes. the moment when I realized that I can control my shit, not my shit control me, like that was when life changed for me because so often, you know, I would go on a call, I would hold a dead kid or, you know, I would see somebody's limb who was, uh, you know, they'd have a severed limb or, you know, just these really terrible fucked up situations. Yeah. And what would happen is that these things would play over and over and over and over and over again in my mind and I would not take control of them. And then what happens with that when you don't take control of memories, when you don't take control of your situations, what happens with you in our brains is that our brains, they see this thing and then it, it's going to get filed, right? No matter what way yep. you think about it, it's going to get filed. Where, where I changed is I learned how to control how it gets filed. Yeah. I have a process now and how I control that and how I file that memory. Because what was happening to me is that that memories would come up at the most inopportune times because I didn't control those memories. And so they would control me because I would have these things and it would come up in nightmares or I would be doing a thing, something, just random shit and it would come up and I would feel this, you know, just overwhelming sadness or frustration or anger or whatever the emotion was with that, that call that I went through. And until I can start controlling my shit and um, using a process to file that memory away, the way that I know that I control it and I own it, that's yes. when life changed for me. Yes. And so too often we get so fucking caught up in these memories and we think that life is happening to us. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that life is happening for us. Mm-hmm. Everything that we go through, just like your story, it happened for you. You didn't realize it at the time. But yep. now, like, dude, you're fucking rocking it. You are helping other men. I feel your energy is so good. you feel fulfilled. If, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. It seems like you oh, feel yeah. fu- much more fulfilled now.
2: Oh, and, yeah. Because I'm filling it with the things that fill me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so the reality is, is, is Clay, if, if you would have been a pro baseball player, do you think that you would have felt as fulfilled as Clay, the man helping other men?
2: No, it, it, No. I would have had to, this eventually would have happened. Again, the lesson always comes until you learn the lesson. I would have had to go through some shit there that would have been equal to me being able to find out exactly who her. And that's, that's the thing is, is when we look at this, especially, especially for, me, it's for men and women, but especially in the realm that I work in with men, we have to help our youth, our gen- younger generations not get to the point where they're 30s and 40s and 50s and be like, dude, what the fuck is going on with my life? Yep. That's what we have to do. We have to help them really define their purpose sooner rather than later or to have this guidance that allows us to be able to go to help them be able to develop who they actually are sooner in their late teens, their early 20s so that they can live the rest of their life like doing great shit that they were meant to do, that they were supposed to do, that they were called to do, or whatever, you know, then you can go spiritually or whatever you want with that, whether they believe in God and so forth. but. I think we were all meant to do something. There's a purpose inside of each one of us. Um, whether it's spiritual or connected to spirituality or not, I don't think it matters. But really, getting them to do that sooner so they don't have to go through the hard shit, hit that block wall, and start bashing their face in you know, on this block wall to actually find out who they were. I mean, guys our age, like that's what we did because nobody ever yep. told me, to go find your purpose and define it. That is something nope. you have to do. Nobody told me that. Everybody told me, go serve everybody else. Go serve everybody else. Expectation. Nobody everybody else, everybody else told is me to serve me. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. In this time right now, there is an expectation of what, you know, what a man should, should look like. Mm-hmm. And not to mention the difficulties of maneuvering through that right now, especially in this time because you mm-hmm. there's the terms like toxic masculinity and you know, So then you get in this whole thing where it's like, fuck, man, am I, am I being toxic to other individuals? Yep. Who am I as a man? And so when you have so much expectation surrounding you of how you should be, and you're like, fuck, am I that? Am I this? How am I? Yep. And so you get caught up in this whole, again, it's that circle, that
2: spinning yep. circle. Right. Of a, it's mess. a crazy man. And not only the expectation from outside, but the higher, see, the, uh, society and everybody puts this expectation on men, what we should be. They do two things. One, they say, hey, we don't want you to be like this, but we need you to be like this. They hmm. say, don't be like this because that's scary. But we need you to be like this because, well, we don't want to do it. And it's like, so who the fuck do you want? You want this person? No, you want this person. Yep. And, it, and for me is, is when you look at that expectation from the outside coming in, there's so much pressure. And especially because we've operated as men for thousands and thousands and thousands of years a certain way go kill shit bring it back to eat or go kill people because they're trying to, to hurt your land that's it and that's biologically in us in our brains in our programming it's there and when we do that we created more status we created more land we created more opportunity to have kids to to put to pass us on our seat that's that's how we operated for literally thousands and thousands of years but now once the industrial age started hitting we didn't have to go do that i mean Nick, if you get really hungry, what are you going to go do? Go to the grocery store. Yeah. Or go to your cabinets and <laughs> your fridge, right? Right. You, know, yeah. you don't have to go kill it. Or go to the restaurant and have yeah. them make that shit for you. you know, right up through the drive-thru. And it's yeah. like, we don't have to actually survive. So let's look at mental health. Let's look at anxiety. Let's look at depression. Let's look at all those different things. The reason why they're increased in men is because men aren't utilizing the programming that's actually run for thousands and thousands of years. So mm. we don't know what to do with it. So one of the things that I'm all about is rebuilding masculinity with heart and purpose. And the reason why I say rebuild masculinity is because masculinity has to be different from what it used to be. Uh, Our days of our fathers and stuff like that. My dad was open. I hug my dad. I, I say, I love you, stuff like that, you know, and so forth. We get off the phone. I'm like, hey, I love you, pop. And he's like, love you, son. And so forth. My dad's a little bit different from his generation, where they were just like, "No, nah, just be big, bad, bad tough. Suck like, it up. Don't ever cry." Yeah, and he would do those things in certain times, but he was a little bit different. His dad was on that version of well, he was his dad was just an asshole. Um, I'll just say it. So that was my grandpa. He was just an ass, and he was selfish. It was all about him. It was like like this macho, tough tough guy and I'm like it just never appealed to me because probably because my dad was like dude I don't like that and I don't want you to be like that because I don't want to be like that which is that great generation
1: because, well it was a, yeah. a, a lot of that generation was like that yeah. because that's because again you're what you're talking about is they were coming from still that whole like the man is the yeah. one who runs things the man is the one they didn't lose the hunt they weren't yep. hunting however they still felt like like they were in charge right. and there was you know they were Right. At that time, women weren't really working like they are now. Women didn't have the roles that yep. they did. You, I
2: mean, you were the man. You were in charge. And it is yep. not like that anymore. No, no. It's not th- like that. And, and, and think about this. When, when you, know, you get the whole racism thing, when you look at it, we were taught about Martin Luther King in, in school. Well, then once, once the racism stuff that happened here, I started to think about it. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I'm only two generations out from Martin Luther King. It was taught to me in history. I'm like, damn, that's really close. I'm like, I yeah. thought it was back further than that. It's two generations. It's I mean, one of, the, one, of, one, of, one of the guys that, that I coach with and he's actually going to be speaking with has walked with Martin Luther King. And I'm like, and that's what brought it to light is going, holy shit, you walked with Martin Luther King? I'm like, dude, like, okay, let's look at this, you know, it, this systemic piece that we, we flow through. So, generationally, if we look from men running the household, that's two generations out. It's the same time period because my my grandpa's generation was no, I run the house, I make the decisions, and that's what it was for thousands and thousands of years. My dad's is you know what i this isn't right like my wife's we we both run this together, and that was the new change and my dad and my mom taught me that it's together it's a hundred percent a hundred percent together that's how a household's run, yeah, so i you are the first generation to have that mindset that says, no, men and women work together. We don't work separately. We work together. So we wonder why like we have like women in a workplace and so forth like that, you know, and and these things and some of those troubles is because we're only two generations out. We still have racist issues and racism issues because we're only two generations out from it being normal for there to be a black and a white bus or a black and a white school or a black and white water fountain or whatever it may be, we're two generations out. And most of us don't realize that because it is a lot of time in there. But when we look at generational, it's a thought process. My generation, my, so let's go to racism. My, my grandpa, who is an amazing man, his thought process was when he was a kid, is that segregation is the normal piece. Well, he taught my mom that, you know what, so that breaking out of that segregation, it was like, hey, segregation isn't okay. So my mom and dad were the first generation to say about racism, go, this isn't okay. Not Something right. needs to happen. This isn't okay. As kids, this isn't okay. So then they taught me, our generation, to say, you know what, not at all. Not I cool. don't see color. Right. And for me, like, I don't see color. I don't give a shit. Like, you be purple. Well, I don't give a fuck. Like, or if you're a good person, cool. If you're a dick and I don't like you and you're an ass, like, I won't like you. Like, it's, right. that's pretty simple. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're a good person, cool. Uh, you're not right. a good person, don't, don't talk to me. I don't have anything to do with you. But it's like, yeah. so for our generation, it was the first one to say, no, this shit doesn't work at all. My kids, they don't see it. Like, it was so nice. Because, because they're all so stuff.
1: far separated from yeah, it. Because, they don't even realize.
2: So that's the one. That's the second. They're the third generation now of mindset change. Now you still got those ignorant people out there that's going to teach their kids. And I work in a country school, right? We have racism in our school and people say stupid shit because it, I mean, I teach seventh grade. They're only saying it because they heard it from their parents. They heard it from this. And it's like, you know, we stomp that crap out right away and so forth. I don't put up with it because it's stupid. I mean, it's just ignorant. But when we look at it from all aspects all aspects that, that no matter whatever they're still
1: hearing are, it because they, those there's some people who didn't change that right and it's easy to see when you really step back and look at this as a whole because it is only two generations right two generations. from us it's only two and so it's not going to be wiped out in two generations you are still going to have people who are assholes yep right and they are going to continue to be assholes and yep. you know and so we're going to continue to have that and Ultimately, forever, you're always going to have that because yeah. there's always going to be somebody who's going to pass on that being an asshole Correct. to somebody. Yep. And you and then, are who you – you learn. You're, it's learned behavior. Absolutely.
2: Now, you get – pro. it's so crazy how your subconscious gets programmed from the time that you were born to the time that you're about eight. It's crazy. It's so, so crazy. And then after eight, you're putting new programs that you can utilize yourself because you're conscious – you're able to tap into that conscious thinking. But really, I mean – up until 35, I operated subconsciously 98% of the time. Now, because of hard practice, this is what I want everybody to understand. It takes practice to work consciously. You Absolutely. can't just be like, I'm going to think more consciously. No, 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 no. If somebody, and I'll give you an example. If I threw a ball at you, if you and I were sitting across and, and, and nobody, nobody, you had no idea I was doing this and I just tossed a ball at you, like your subconscious program worked. It just kicked in like that. Because you're either going to catch it or you're going to get hit by it or you're going to duck out of the way. You've Throughout your time and your training or whatever you've done, for me, it's, it's always a reaction to catch. Why? Yeah. Because I played ball, I played sports to do these things, but people who don't, right. and, and I did, it was a little experiment in school. I have like a little soft squishy ball and I just toss it at people randomly and, and then ask them, Did you ever play baseball or softball? And they're like, Yes. And I'm like, Okay, those are usually the ones who caught it. The ones who never played that, they're like, I don't like that. They're like, they're the ones who (laughs) ducked or just got hit by it. (laughs) And it's like, it's pretty neat because I was just practicing. I was like, that's your subconscious jumping in. You know, so it was very easy to show my students how our subconscious programming works just like this. I mean, it's crazy. Your thought processes, your everything that you do. And that's where what I do with one-on-one with men is I help them look at those subconscious patterns the habits that they have created to see, is it really aligned with your center and your purpose? And if it's not, I help them take those things and realign it. One, define their purpose and then realign it so that their decision-making is centered. So you don't have to worry like, oh, I might be good, no, let's get back to center because that alignment allows you to be able to live the life that you want to live. And I'm not talking like, Hey, make millions of dollars. Well, I mean, if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. Like, But you don't have to make a lot of money to be happy. You just have to make sure that you're filling your cup up with the right stuff instead of not filling it up with, with filling up with one thing instead of three. You need three things. You, you got to have all three for you to work. If you don't, you're not going to work right. So, gas, tires, we and love, oil. That's, it just that just came to my mind. You need gas, you need tires, you need oil for a car yeah. to run. You don't have all right. three? Well, you're shit out of luck.
1: Dude, you got so much fire. I love it. How can my listeners find you? Where can they find you at? So that if uh, they want to get to know more about you, maybe find out about your coaching, where can they find you at?
2: Definitely. They can find me on uh, Facebook. I'm on there, Clay Smelter. They can find me Instagram, Clay Smelter, or that's Clay underscore Smelter. Uh, and LinkedIn, you can find me at Clay Smelter as well. It's Purpose Infused Coaching. You can just look that up. It'll come up for you. Now, I do have some things there. It's a uh, my site is purposeofusecoaching.com backslash mykajabi that's in there too. So it has the mykajabi piece on it. Still trying to figure out how to get that off. <laughs> <laughs> Technology is so awesome, but sometimes it's a pain in the ass.
1: Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Clay, I really, man, this conversation, I wish I could sit here for hours. I always try to keep these, that 40-minute mark, because I don't want to lose the uh, audience. Yeah, yeah. But man, hopefully we can do this again in the future, man. I really enjoy this conversation. You got fire inside of you. You know, if you're listening to this right now, you should look Clay up, man. Follow him on Facebook. He's got some good stuff. And also, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for... Ah, uh, someone to help you find who you are as an individual. Clay is could be your guy for sure, especially mm-hmm. you know men out there that are listening to get on, find Clay. He can help you really change the way that yeah. you look at things, especially if you're if you are lost, if this really resonated, this conversation really resonated with you, and you just understand that hey, you're not where you want to be, and you really are. kind of if you're listening, you're going, man, shit, this really resonates with me, and I really don't know who I am as a man, man. Find Clay him up. He will help yeah. change you. I promise you he will for sure. So. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, and Nick, I wanted to add to that too. A lot of times is, is a lot of work that I do, a lot of people have this mistake, especially men have this mistake that you have to be in a really bad spot to get help. And that's not the case, man. My life looked oh. great. It was just internally, I was struggling with who I was self. And I needed help in order to be able to do that. So men need to reach out. We got to get better at doing that and to help each other out and so forth and come together in those different aspects. So definitely, uh, I want to make sure that's clear because um, a lot of people think, you know, especially men, Absolutely. that you got to be in a dire situation. Not the truth. Nope. Not the
1: truth at all. Good point, man. I really appreciate that. Well, Clay, I hope you have an amazing day, man. Rock your day. Super grateful that you jumped on this podcast with me. Uh, I can't wait to do it again at some point. And
2: uh, I hope you have a great afternoon. Yep, you too, man. Have a kick-ass week, everybody. All right. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Building Grit, one call at a time. Everyone faces challenges, and we talk to people who use grit to be triumphant. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show, and we hope you had some fun along the way. We know we did. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with Nick on Facebook at Nickwingo and on Instagram at building underscore grit. And remember, victory is always possible for the person who refuses to stop fighting. This is Building Grit One Call at a Time, signing off.